This is the word of the Lord. Be seated. Good to see you all today. My name is Alex. For those of you who might be new or visiting or joining us for the first time, uh, it's good to, good to be with you this morning in the house of God. Uh, and so today, uh, as we mentioned a moment ago, that we're going to be walking through the subject of friendship as found in the Proverbs and in the Gospels this morning. And uh, with that in mind, it's something that I'm, I'm really excited to talk uh, about with you this morning. And friendship is no... Uh, uncommon grace, so to speak. It's something that all of us, whether you're a Christian or not, the world celebrates and actually enjoys friendships. That is, there is friendship with God and there is friendship with ourselves and friendship with one another. But but friendship exists outside of the local church. And friendship is something that we find ourselves even singing about often. So here's just some of the most common songs you'll that will come to some of your minds, at least, when it comes to friendship. So from the Beatles, of course, uh, I get by with a little help from my friends. Uh, we are going to be friends by the White Stripes. Uh, you've got a friend in me. Toy Story, Randy Newman. Total tearjerker, by the way, if you just, yeah, all right. Um, Lean on me from Bill Weathers. Here's one. That's what friends are for by Elton John and Stevie Wonder and Gladys Knight, if you know that one. Um, I'll be there by the Jackson 5. And then my personal favorite this year from Kanye, uh, uh, on the life of Pablo, he has a song called Real Friends, and Chance the Rapper also has a, a new song called Summer Friends. So everybody sings about friendship, at least at some point, and yet friendship is something that we find ourselves, especially as Westerners, as Americans, uh, we find ourselves distancing ourselves further and further from the actual experience of authentic friendship. That is, in the last three decades, uh, friendship has continued to plummet as an actual priority in the average American life. In fact, a recent poll just showed that across the landscape of American culture, when asked, who are your closest friends, the number one answer was zero. Going, and that's like, well, well, hold on, what about happy hour friends? That wasn't the context of the survey. The context of the survey was somebody that you actually can bear your soul to. The friendship is something that we can sing about, that we can admire in books, that we admire in movies. And maybe if you read the books and the movies, like The Lord of the Rings, you watch what's being played out right there is real friendship. Frodo, Sam, going to Mordor together. Through thick and thin, these hobbits are deep friends. They will go literally, well, to Tolkien's version of hell together for the sake of friendship. So friendship is something that is talked about in movies, music, media, and most certainly in the scriptures. Jana and I, over the last year, we took an entire year away from any kind of real ministry to push back from the table to focus on us, to focus on our friendship, to focus on what we want to do with our lives as ministers of the gospel. And as friends, here's something that we, we learned. We were able to kind of, if you know the story of Mary and Martha in the gospels, we were very much so the Marthas. Very, very busy, active in working for Jesus, serving Jesus, being diligent toward Jesus. And yet, to have a year and push back from all of that work, work, work for Jesus, and actually sit at his feet and learn from Jesus, in a posture, in a place like Mary, we found ourselves learning three major lessons. And one of those today has to deal with friendship. You'll hear, and I've actually shared it with a lot of you already over coffees or soda, um, uh, is that all of our wealth is in our relationships. 
And that may sound trivial or trite, but it's actually very, very true. That is, if you define your wealth by your waistline, your GPA, the size of your house, the size of you know, your, your boats and your golf score and your toys and this and that, and all the accolades that come with life, and you go, that's my wealth. If you're pointing at your 401k saying, I'm wealthy because this number says so, I hate to bear the bad news today, but to say you're using the entirely the wrong measuring stick. To define yourself by the things you accumulate and call that wealth, the Bible ends up saying that's actually poverty. What real wealth is, is primarily defined in the context of our relationships with God, relationship with ourselves, and relationship with those around us. That is, at the end of your life, you're not going to be thinking about the car you drove. On your deathbed, you're not going to be thinking, did I really get the right designer jeans? In fact, I think Alex wears those every day, and I do. (laughs) We're not going to be thinking about stuff. We're going to be thinking about the people who are meaningful with us. We're going to be thinking about the people who weren't afraid to enter the mess of our lives. We're not going to be thinking just high five at happy hour, friends. We're going to be thinking about the people who were there for us in the gutter when nobody else was there. They were. Those are the people you're going to be thinking about. And and here's what's great. As Christians here today, under the word of God, we don't have to wait till the end of our lives to start thinking about Did I actually make any real friends? And maybe even more importantly, was I a real friend? You don't have to wait till you're on your deathbed to actually know whether or not you're wealthy. You can know that now. And that's great news. And that's part of the great news of the gospel that we get in the Lord Jesus. And so, Mario Batali, famous chef, you probably know him. He says this, and I thought this was fantastic. When asked about his last meal, here's what he said. My last meal? The food would be much less significant than the company. For a dude that's dedicated his entire life to preparing food for, one, for others around, he's actually telling you, I find more fun around the table with the people than what's actually on the table to be consumed. He's speaking about friendship. And so for the sake of time this morning, I kind of, I don't know if I've ever preached a sermon, by the way, with three points, but (laughs) I did it this week, and my homiletics professors in seminary would be proud. So here you are. Friendship. I can't believe I did this. All right. Friendship is something that is discovered, cultivated, and celebrated. So friendship is something that is discovered, cultivated, and and celebrated. So C.S. Lewis, if you've, you've, he's a, a household name in most evangelical Christian homes. It's just kind of a name you kind of hear. He wrote the, his biggie book is called Mere Christianity. But in one of his books uh, called uh, The Four Loves, he, he absolutely nails where friendship comes from. And if you don't know anything about Lewis, he was, a, he was an Irish fellow that made his way down to Oxford, uh, was a literary scholar and genius there, and had a profound conversion experience, met the Lord Jesus, and then began to become one of, a real apologist, a real theologian in the church, though he was a really a storyteller and 
a, a literary professor. But here's one thing he says when he talks about friendship actually being something that's discovered. He says this. Friendship arises out of mere companionship. When two or more of the companions discover that they have in common some insight or interest or even taste, which the others do not share, and which, till that moment, each believed to be his own unique treasure or burden. The typical expression of opening friendship would sound something like, this is awesome. What? You too? I thought I was the only one. If you want to know where friendship starts, it usually starts in that experience. You too? You feel that way too? It is when two such persons discover one another when whether with immense difficulties and semi-articulate fumblings or with what would seem to us amazing and elliptical speed, they share their vision. It is then that friendship is born and instantly they stand together in an immense solitude. What a way to say it. You're like, yeah, that guy was a literary genius. Yeah, there it is. Where is friendship born? It's in the moment where you go, what, you too? And if you'll notice, he, he, he couches it in two experiences, one of pleasure and one of pain. So for me, if we're going to be friends, we're probably going to talk about food and the sounders and uh, stranger things. And we probably won't talk about politics. So we're going to build friendship because what, you too? You feel that way too? You're, you're praying that we destroy the timbers today too? Amen. We're probably going to be friends. And yet at the same time, Lewis mentions that it's also in that discovery of a shared burden. So for me, my, my dad, my dad passed away as many as you know, seven years ago, my dad died. And I've found that the friends that I've made closest over the last seven years happen to be my friends who lost their dads. Men of the same age, but maybe they lost their dad as a child or maybe a little older, where you discover, oh no, you've been through that too? But then once that experience starts to set in, you start to, if, if you've had your heart broken enough, other people's burdens, though it might not be the same, still somehow you create a space for them. And that's where friendship, even if you're not always talking about the loss of your dads, the fact that you know this man lost his dad, it creates a space of respect and reflection and honor that somebody else is carrying a significant burden. That's where friendship is born. It's in the what? You too? You see, friendship is something that is discovered. Your friends move to that place of friendship. Listen, not because they have to, but because they want to. You see, your family's your family. <laughs> They're there forever. But a friend, that's an intentional commitment. They choose you. So here's a 30,000 kind of flyover of the book of Proverbs on friendship. Proverbs 18, 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. So here's what he's saying. Relationally, it's possible to be a mile wide and an inch deep. It is possible to have lots and lots of companions or acquaintances, but, but there's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. It is possible to be relationally a mile wide and only an inch deep. 
Uh, one of my best friends in the whole world, his name is Leonce Crump. He lives down in Atlanta, and he taught me uh, something this year that, that absolutely changed the way I approached friendships. He talked about it. He's a, he's a former football fighter and just big monster of a man, and so all of his metaphors are physical and fighting. So anyway, just bear with it. So, like, I went paddleboarding yesterday. He's a monster. So anyway, um, he describes friendships kind of like this. There's the arm's length, there's the crook arm, and then there's the up close. Arm's length means you're a stranger. You're out here. I'm not sharing with you the deepest burden of my soul. Why? Because I don't know you. I always kind of was under the impression, well, if I'm following Jesus, I just have to like wear my heart on my sleeve. Just tell everybody everything. He's like, that's crazy, man. You don't have to do that. Then there's the crook arm. More, you're in. I, you're not out here as a stranger, but you don't know everything there is to know about my life. And then he says, there's the really, really sacred, even holy place of your life. The embrace. Up close, which means only a couple people can actually fit right here. Because that's how Jesus himself even worked. Jesus, if you read closely in the Gospels, you'll see he has Peter, James, and John. They call it the inner three. And then he has a few more guys. And then there's the disciples. And then there's the crowds. That Jesus himself even worked like that. So there's a friend who actually sticks closer than a brother. This speaks to availability. It speaks to the fact that your late night chaos and tears are not an inconvenience to that person. When the Proverbs start describing a friend, they're describing someone who will not let you rot in the gutter. When the Bible talks about friendship, it talks about somebody who's willing to sit in the rain with you. And then we start going, gosh, those are actually pretty rare. This is why you should go out of your way today to find the one or two friends that you really have and tell them, thank you for occupying that sacred place. You see, your friend isn't the one when you call them and you say, here's what I'm going through. It's utter hell. Your friend is not the one that goes, can I call you later? Your friend is the one that says, whatever's going on, I'm here. I'm closer than a brother. I'm available. Rain or shine, day or night. Friends do not define one another by their usefulness. You see, That's business world. We can be cordial, be nice, of course, but at the end of the day, oftentimes, those relationships don't develop into the place of where the Bible starts talking about deep, real, authentic friendships. Friends don't use one another. Rather, friends understand one another by their vulnerability, their availability, the depth of trust, and loving kindness. That is, real friendship is not a tool to be used as a means to an end. Real friendship is the end in and of itself. So Proverbs seventeen seventeen. look at this. It says this, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Okay, so a friend, lo- 
at love at how often? Oh, come on, redemption, we can do this. Here we go, here we go, here we go. A friend loves at? There we are, see? Look at you people. See, all right, so a friend loves at all times, all times, and a brother's born for adversity. So again, he's saying something about your family, by the way, here. He's going, your brother's born for adversity. Your family kind of has to be there. But a friend loves you at all times. Mountaintops, valleys, rain, snow, sunshine, whatever it is, your friend is born and, and is there for you at all times. A friend is the one who's making a deliberate choice, an intentional decision to come and be with you even as you cost them time, attention, money, care. Your friend is the one who says, I know you're not really here to give much today, and that's all right. I even prefer it that way. So the friend, in fact, is the person who says thank you to you when you open up that most vulnerable part of your life that broken spot that you say, hey, here's what I'm struggling with. Your friend is the one that first responds, hey, thanks for sharing that. I know that was hard. Hey, thanks for sharing that. I know that actually means something to you. Hey, thanks for sharing that. I know that's difficult. Thanks. I actually appreciate the fact that you would share this vulnerable part of your life with me. And, and, and more than that, listen, if you have friendships, Christians, listen, if you have friendships who are saturated, that are saturated in the gospel, you need to understand that friendship can be one of the strongest arguments for the truth of the gospel, especially in a city like ours here in Seattle. That is, friendship, love, sacrifice, faithfulness to the end, that's an apologetic for the gospel that those who would be more prone to atheistic thinking, survival of the fittest. Look, survival of the fittest and self-denying friendship, these, these are really hard to, to reconcile because survival of the fittest says, figure it out, bro. Or maybe not even use the word bro. Just figure it out, specimen. Like, rather. But it's, as, it's a strong argument to go, that speaks. Why are you sticking with them? Why are you faithful to them? Why do you care about them? Why are you committed to them? They're not even your family, to which the Christian response is, actually, they're more family than most of my biological family. That is, we become part of the family of God, and we see one another differently. And Christians, you know this to be true. You know this to be true. As, as you relate to other believers in the faith, do you find yourself going, I know you better than Half my aunts and uncles and cousins and grandparents and brothers and sisters and even our own parents sometimes. What happened there? God became our father. The spirit indwells us. And Jesus, our older brother, saved the day. We have that experience in common. This is speaking to what it means to have friendships saturated in the gospel. Listen to this, Proverbs 25. 20 says this, whoever sings, this is a great one, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. What's he saying here? This is talking about friendships being relationally in tune. Heavy heart, 
And maybe, maybe you find out who your real friends are when you're bummed and how they respond to your bummedness. So, wrong word, but whatever. Um, that is, if they come back with a trivial, hey, let go and let God. Let me sing you a song. Let me tell you how you need to, you know, count all your blessings. And if you're in a state of real trauma or despair, you're going, we clearly don't know each other because, um, because I'm over here in the gutter and here you are singing this trivial theology of, well, it, it'll be all right. Hey, Jesus is alive. Don't forget that, buddy. There are verses on like weep with those who weep for a reason. So Solomon's saying, listen, don't be the guy, don't be the girl who shows up and starts trying to give trivial, let me cheer you up to somebody who's actually in a place of real despair. It's like it's like showing up and taking their coat on a freezing day. It made it worse. It was already freezing. Now you took my coat. I'm already broken hearted. Now you're singing. You're making it worse. And that's okay. It's okay to show up to somebody, to your friend, and if they're in a place of brokenness, go, I'll be broken with you. In fact, you can have my coat. So your friend is the person who can't fathom rejoicing while you're mourning. They can't party while you're crying. They can't laugh when you're racked in anxiety. Why? Because your pain actually becomes their pain. That's your friend. That's your friend. Not somebody who's content to observe you in your pain from a distance and sing a silly song, but to actually enter that experience and say, I'm with you until the rain stops. Here's another one. Proverbs 27, verse 6. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Look at this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Here's what he's saying here. Your friend is the person who will tell you you have broccoli in your teeth. You're that guy. Like, hey, hold on. Let me show you. You have something on your face. You have, right? It's, that's your friend. Faithful is the wound of a friend who will actually show up and say something that you probably don't want to hear. And not to do it in a nitpicky kind of competitive way, but to actually show up and go, I see something here. And out of deep love, honor, respect for you, I'm going to say this, not because I want to see you fall and your demise and nitpick and grind you down to powder. No, I, I see something here and I want to see you progress and grow. And so it could be in any number of things where your friend will show up and go, hey, I think your spending's out of control. Hey, I think this is a bit nuts. I mean, it's, you go, that's kind of that's personal. Well, if you've invited them to that space, then the friend has the right to say something like that. To say, I see you making decisions, and I know this hurts, this wounds, this cuts it, this cuts. But it's not with the intention of harming you. It's with the intention of helping. A friend's words will wound but with the aim of healing. Or look at Proverbs 22. Make no friendship with a man given to anger, nor go with a wrathful man, lest you learn his ways and entangle yourself in a snare. 
So what's he saying here? He's telling you here, consider the character of the people that you bring in close. Consider the character. Listen, he's, and, and he uses the, 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 the vice here of anger. Don't roll with angry people in your life that are going to be considered friends up close. Why? Why? What's so dangerous about that? He even says, lest you learn their ways. That is, friends spend enough time together, you know you begin to act like one another. You talk like one another, you think like one another, you believe like one another, which leads to behaving like one another. And he's saying, look, if you're befriending someone who is destructive, and he uses anger here, who's, who's prone to be outburst and out of control, don't, don't get close. Why? Here's why. Because you're going to learn his ways and you end up in the same trap. So Solomon's admonishing us and encouraging us to go, think about the people who are up close. Think about the people who are influencing us. Think about the people who influence our beliefs, which leads to our behavior. Think about these things. And so, lastly, when it comes to cultivating a friendship, think about how to protect your friendships. Look at this. Proverbs 16, 28 says this. A dishonest man spreads strife, and a whisperer separates close friends. He's talking right here and saying, be careful and be protective. There are whispers around. And we've all lived in this world long enough to know this to be the case. That is, a, a whisperer separates close friends. Listen, some of you will have friendships that are so close that there will be people who will see your friendship and envy it to such a degree to go, I can't have it, so I'll destroy theirs. And when you're apart, one, he'll start whispering here, and then over here, seeking to bring division out of sheer jealousy or envy over what you actually have. It happens. So, Christians, be protective of your friendships. Listen, if you find yourself in a place where you start to fall out with your friend, start going, wait, I never... Where did you hear that? Where's that coming from? Why are, we, why are we in this place of strife now? Is there a whisperer around? That is, friends don't let things fester, but rather friends bring things, concerns, or whatever it is, to one another out of honor for the other and for the friendship. So listen for the, the whisperer. So there's a few things from Solomon. What about Jesus himself? What's Jesus, the Bible say about Jesus and friendship? Well, in two places, both in Matthew and in Luke's gospel, the scriptures describe Jesus' friends as he's a friend of sinners. There you are. Some of you met him, so you know. So, so Jesus is a friend of sinners. And this, was, and this was very concerning to the religious crowd around specifically the Pharisees of the day who are saying, some Messiah, you don't even know how to pick the right friends. Your friends are the wrong ones. Your friends, hey Messiah, your friends are the ones who break commandments. You're doing a terrible job of being Messiah. You're hanging out with the wrong people. You don't even get the Ten Commandments, much less friendship. Man, this is what got Jesus in trouble for running with the wrong people friend of sinners. That is, he ate meals with people who were unlike anybody, oftentimes in even church today. That Jesus' friends were those that were broken on the inside and most definitely broken on the outside. 
and the religious crowd couldn't stomach the fact that Jesus wasn't offended to the point of running away from them, but rather saw them in their mess and ran to them. A friend of sinners, that is, if you went through Jesus' own phone, you'd find the, those people in his phone. Those were his friends. You go, man. And that speaks so much to so how Christ has called us to live in this world. No, I'm not above the next guy down the street. And the people walking up and down Green Lake or down Aurora right now, it doesn't matter the state that they're in. They are worthy of befriending because they're made in the image of God. Human beings in desperate need of authentic friendship. And listen, Christian, we don't befriend unbelievers for the sake of just converting them. You have to hear that. Like, wait, wait, I thought that's the whole point. Aren't we supposed to do evangelism? Yeah, totally. But here's the deal. When you enter into friendship with somebody, that, that friendship in and of itself, God honors. And if it leads to somebody meeting Jesus, all the better. But we do not use people for the sake of just making a convert or Pretend to be friendly for the sake of making a convert. That belittles somebody. And it actually shows how small the gospel is or our lopsided understanding of what evangelism actually is. Does that make sense? So we befriend sinners. But listen, in evangelical circles, we tend to fall off on one of two sides of the horse We can become a friend of sinners only (laughs) and even badmouth the local church. Well, I'm a Christian, but I talk bad about the church. Or you can become a friend of saints only and never actually encounter those who still need to meet Jesus. So Christ himself, remember, is the greatest friend of the church. That Jesus is not only a friend of sinners, but he is, a, uh, he is a friend of the saints. And this is what he's called us to as Christians. To be outwardly facing, reaching our city, yes and amen, but also taking time to constantly look inwardly to one another and to build one another up in the gospel. To be friends of sinners and to be friends of saints. This is how it works out in Jesus' life and how he intends for it to work out in ours. So if you're only a friend of sinners, there's a problem. If you're only a friend of saints, that's a problem. If you really walk with Jesus, he'll lead you to some fairly grimy places. And if you walk with Jesus, he'll lead you to some very holy places. This is what redemption, this is what God is calling us to do. God is calling us to reach out to those who don't know the gospel and proclaim it boldly. And God is not calling us to a bunker mentality of hiding out in the local church in the name of discipleship. He's called us to be radical in our evangelism and in our devotion to one another. So when it comes to examining our friendships and what state they're currently in, and if you're thinking about Some of us, as I talk about friendship, you're thinking, I really did so-and-so wrong. 
I feel terrible about it. I need to call them. Or somebody else has offended you along the way or whatever. And if you're sitting there going, how do I become a better friend to those who are actually in my life? It's not by looking inward and trying a little bit harder. It's looking outward and upward to, Lord, to our Lord Jesus. So this week, I'd encourage you to go through the Proverbs and sub out the word friend and put in the name Jesus to get a better example, the greatest example of what friendship actually looks like. So it sounds like this. Jesus sticks closer than a brother. Jesus loves at all times. Jesus never sings happy songs to sad hearts. Jesus brings a blanket to the cold. Jesus' wounding words are faithful and healing. And what about the whisperer that tries to separate you and Jesus? Because there is one. Here's the reality. Jesus is louder. Jesus is stronger. And nothing can separate you from the loving kindness and friendship of our Lord Jesus. Did you know that Jesus has never talked bad about one of his friends? Did you know Jesus doesn't think less of his friends? And certainly, if the resurrection teaches us anything, it teaches us that Jesus does not disown his friends, but is with us to the very end.